0: Well, it's Mailbag Monday today, and we are talking all about Martinez Arlauski's departure from the program, Efton Reed's potential contribution this upcoming season, the PK-85, Bill Russell's legacy in the WCC, and much, much more right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team... Every day, What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. It is August now, and I appreciate all of you who have checked out the show through the summer months as we await the return of college basketball. Still a long ways away, but we are getting closer and closer every single day. I also want to remind you about the YouTube channel. If you have not checked the show out yet on YouTube, very simple. Go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags. You'll find the channel. We're over 815 subscribers trying to get to 1,000 before the start of the college basketball season. So if you are a listener to the show and you have not done so yet, just go to YouTube, search Locked On Zags, find the channel, hit that big orange subscribe button. Very much appreciate it. There's also a reminder for those of you who are new to the show who have not participated in Mailbag Monday before we do this every week. We will continue to do this every week, even into the next few months where the podcast is going to only be three times per week. Mailbag Monday lives on. I promise you that is one of the things I am most excited to about every single week. If you want to get involved, very simple. Just reach out to me on Twitter at score or at LockedOnZags whenever you are thinking of a question. I will write it up and get it into the show. You can also respond to a tweet that I post on Sunday morning soliciting questions. That is a very, very concrete way to make sure your question makes it into the show. And finally, you can email me at andypatton 13 at gmail.com, and I will answer your questions there as well. All right, we got a ton of questions today. We're going to get right into it. This first question comes from Ian Hake on Twitter, who says, Sad to see any Zag leave before their full eligibility is complete, especially a quality locker room guy like Arlauskas, but I have to wonder how this impacts recruiting now that his scholarship is essentially vacated. Curious what your thoughts are on this. Ian was not the only person who had this question. Gary via Gmail, Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, and Darren at HeavyDew44 on Twitter all asked similar variations. Of this question, I used Ian's because I appreciated the acknowledgement of Arlauskis having a role as a quality locker room guy. I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Uh, this is sad. For those of you who may have missed this news story, Martinez I posted on Instagram on, I believe, Friday of last week that he is leaving the program. Uh, there was a, a quote from Theo Lawson of the spokesman review. I got, I got an opportunity to speak to Martinez and it said that he is going to go play professionally overseas. He found an opportunity in Europe. Uh, my speculation as to the the timing on this, I know some people have had some questions about that as well. Uh, I know the summer, gra- he likely took classes over the summer. Most Gonzaga basketball players take classes over the summer. It's borderline requirement uh, for many of them in order to be on campus and participating. Uh, so he probably took his final classes over this last summer and graduated early. Uh, the, there's a picture of him clearly holding a degree, so he has graduated from Gonzaga. That's my theory. I'm not 100% certain on that. I, it's a speculation. It would it would explain the timing more so uh, if he was waiting to finish his degree instead of leaving right at the end of the basketball season. Uh, so that's my guess as to that. Uh, and yeah, Martinez was very valuable, I think. And it kind of leads into the conversation about what, if anything, Gonzaga should do with this roster spot. The Zags do not have room to get a player onto this roster who's going to play. They just don't. They they have nine guys right now that deserve playing time. I mean, they have more than nine guys that deserve playing time. They have nine guys who absolutely, no doubt, unquestionably, unless they are not healthy, are playing basketball this season for playing legitimate minutes for Gonzaga this year. Drew Timmy, Efton Reed, Anton Watson, Julian Strother, those are your four kind of bigs. Right there, And then you have your five guards, uh, Rasir Bolton, Malachi Smith, Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, Dominic Harris. Those those nine guys all need to play. Beyond that, you have Caden Perry, you have Ben Gregg. Those guys probably, you know, you'd like to get them some minutes here and there if you can. Uh, and then of course, you have Braden Huff, the new freshman, who's going to be a, a big-time player for the Zags at some point down the line. So th- you already have too many spots. And I think that's why, like, guys like Martinez are valuable because they... They are on your roster. They're valuable in the sense that they are good teammates. They have the camaraderie aspect. The videos of Martino Sarlowskis and Drew Timmy messing around before the game, shooting half-court shots, uh, running around like crazy, like that kind of stuff is valuable. You need players like that on your roster. You cannot build a roster of just the 13 absolute best basketball players you can find without any semblance of role, any semblance of development, any semblance of, of kind of how these pieces are going to fit together. Teams do not function well like that. It's not an option to build a roster like that. So you need people like Martinez Arlauskas to fill that role. Uh, there was a great response to an article I wrote about Martinez when he first made his announcement. Uh, this comes from Josh Edits on Twitter. We'll hear more from him later. He had a good question later in the show. But his response to the tweet said, uh, quote, sometimes I've got to remind myself a team needs all kinds of dudes, including those comfortable enough with themselves to not let disappointment become toxic. And that that hit the nail on the head. That's the perfect way to describe who Martinos Sarlauškis is, the the role that he filled on this roster. He, after his freshman year, it became sort of clear that playing time was going to be hard for him to find, partly because he maybe didn't develop as much as people maybe thought that he was going to. I don't know exactly what Gonzaga's plan was for him, certainly. But he stuck it out. He showed enthusiasm, energy on the sidelines. He continued to travel. He continued to ostensibly get good grades and be a, a steward of the program, uh, you know, off the court in many ways. You need guys like that. Those are important players. Replacing Martina Arlauskis with a, you know, the best available 2022 freshman who wants to come in and play right away is probably a net negative, because that player is not going to play any more minutes than Martinez played. This is going to play this upcoming season, would have played this upcoming season, excuse me. And yet you're going to have somebody who's maybe more frustrated about that or confused or you know wants to play more, that kind of situation. Not everybody's like that, obviously, and the coaching staff is very good at finding players who don't ascribe to that kind of notion of me first. Gonzaga doesn't recruit those kinds of guys. But that's why filling this roster spot with the best basketball player they can find is not necessarily what they should do. You need to find a balance. You need to find the right grouping of guys in order to build a successful championship team. To actually answer the question, since I haven't quite done that yet, I'd be surprised if Gonzaga does much here. Again, there's not room for them to add somebody who's going to contribute right away. The options that I see are they could attempt to find a transfer who has who entered the portal late and therefore is not eligible to play right away, who could fill that scholarship spot, sit out this upcoming season, and then play next year. That is probably the the option that Gonzaga is exploring the most because it's the easiest way to fill a scholarship without having to worry about disrupting the current playing time situation for next year. But there are not a lot of those guys available. There are not a whole bunch of unsigned basketball players right now. That's just, this is not something that really exists. If they find one that works, that fits their system, that wants to buy in all of that. Great. I just, I think that that's kind of unlikely that that there's going to be somebody out in that situation. They could find a class of 2022 unsigned freshman, but again, not a lot of those in on August 1st here as you're hearing this. There's not a lot of those available, and, and the ones that are available are probably available for a reason. Either they're not at the caliber of player that Gonzaga would typically recruit, or, or they are unsigned because they have recently decommitted somewhere, which doesn't necessarily mean they wouldn't be a good option, but again, they're not going to be anybody that... Gonzaga's not going to find anybody who they want to play right away because they don't have room to play anybody right away. So it's kind of a tricky situation there. Could be a reclassification situation. They find a 2023 kid who then reclassifies to 2022. But why any high schooler would reclassify to join this Gonzaga team when they're not going to play, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. So it's just kind of... There's not a lot of great options. The other options are leave the scholarship spot blank. uh, Or they could put one of their walk-ons onto scholarship. If Will Graves or Matthew Lang were still in the program, I think that would be the pretty easy decision as you just go to Matthew and you say, hey, Congratulations, you're on scholarship again for the next season. But he transferred to Arizona to play for Tommy Lloyd. Will Graves transferred to Southern Oregon to play down there, closer to his family. So those guys aren't really there. I don't think they're going to put Joe Few on scholarship. The optics there wouldn't look particularly great. That leaves either Abe Eagle or Colby Brooks. Neither of those two guys have ever played a single minute of Gonzaga basketball, so it'd be kind of tough to justify putting them on scholarship. But again they could do that as opposed to just leaving it blank where it's not really accomplishing anything. So, it's a lot of a lot of ins and outs here, a lot of kind of an interesting situation. I don't think ultimately that we're going to see anything dramatic, anything groundbreaking, anything super shocking with this roster spot. I think if anything it's going to go to a walk-on as the season gets started or it's just going to be left blank for the rest of the uh, at least the rest of the semester, potentially the rest of the calendar year. All right. Next question comes from Eric Stoneburner at EA Stone Seventeen on Twitter, who says, "With Malachi's experience, does he get the nod for the start? How many minutes?" Yeah, not just his experience, but his talent. He's really, really, really good. Uh, at Scorzag Score at my website, I did a video breakdown of why Malachi Smith is the perfect Gonzaga basketball player. He fits so much of what they're looking for, just his shot distribution, the way he moves without the basketball, his defense, his ability to get out and transition, all of that stuff. He's absolutely excellent. I think he's absolutely starting. I think he's playing between 25 and 30 minutes per night, if not more. I think the four guys who are playing 30-ish minutes per game are Drew Timmy, Rasir Bolton, Julian Strother, and Malachi Smith. And then, of course, you have your other five guys in Hickman, Salas, Dom, Anton Watson, Efton Reed, all those guys are going to fill in kind of the rest of the minutes around those four. Next question, another one from Eric Stoneburner at EA Stone on Twitter. He says, who is the breakout player that no one is talking about? Gonzaga just doesn't have players that nobody's talking about. If we're being completely honest, the fan base is so passionate and so dedicated and so involved in the team. And we're talking about a roster that is you know, it's one team, there's there's no football program, everybody's talking about Gonzaga basketball, the men's basketball program pri- primarily, and you have 13, 14 guys in the team, eight or nine of them who are going to play every year, so there's really nobody that nobody's talking about. People like to say Dom for this answer to the point where I think that, quite frankly, Dominic Harris is, is quite possibly the most discussed Gonzaga basketball player, uh, he is not a player that nobody is talking about. There are articles written seemingly monthly that say Dominic Harris is the Gonzaga's breakout candidate. Like he's like the best player nobody's talking about. Like, no, people are talking about him. That's not the case. Um, I also don't think Dom's going to play enough to be a breakout candidate. I just don't see where those minutes are going to come from. Uh, Again, so I don't think there's anybody that nobody's talking about. So I'm going to pick who I think is going to be the breakout player for Gonzaga next year, which is Hunter Salas. I think Hunter Salas, if we see some improvements in his uh, just knocking down shots. I don't think his shot selection is an issue, but knowing when to go to the hole, knowing when to take the open three, and just knocking those down along with his defensive intensity as otherworldly athleticism, he's going to be a potential breakout star for this team. Next up, two more questions in this segment, both from Sentient TK on Twitter. The first one is, what do you think is the most underrated aspect of the team? Yeah, again, I'm not sure how much... We haven't seen this team play, so it's kind of hard to know what is overrated and what is underrated about them. I think so much conversation around Gonzaga leading into this season and in in previous seasons has been about their offense, about their pace. They score 90-plus points per game, and they rarely get enough attention for their defense. Last year, they got more attention for their defense because of Chet Holmgren. This year, my suspicion is the defense will be talked about a lot less, or when it is talked about, it'll probably be talked about in a not super positive light where I think that this team, at least on the perimeter, is going to have very excellent defense. I think they're a great trap defensive team with Hunter Salas, with Anton Watson, with Malachi Smith, who's a big physical he's 6'4, 205 pounds. This is a big dude. Uh Rasir Bolton's an improved defensive player. Julian Strother's good on that. And Dominic Harris, when he does play, is an excellent defensive player. That's all we've heard about him coming out of high school and his first couple years at Gonzaga. So I think this is gonna be a good perimeter defensive team. I have concerns about their rim protection, but perimeter defense is an area that I think this team's going to be very good at and probably won't get talked about enough. And then the final question of the segment, again, from Sentient TK on Twitter. What do you think will be different about this team compared to other years that will lead us to a title? Yeah, this roster is a lot like the 2021 roster, the team with Jalen Suggs, Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, obviously. I think there's a lot of similarities to that roster. A big difference, a positive difference is more front court depth. That roster had Umar Balo, kind of, who didn't play a whole lot in that role. They had Pavel Zakharov, who played very, very little and ended up kind of washing out of the college basketball scene. Uh, This team is going to have, obviously, Drew Timmy and Anton Watson, who were both there previously, but they're also going to have Julian Strother. They're also going to have Efton Reed, who I think is a big addition in terms of their front court depth on this roster. They have Caden Perry and Ben Gregg, who are phenomenal options as well if they need them to play, so... I think there's more front court depth. There's, I mean, there's more guard depth too. There's a ton of really, really, Dominic Harris, the potential fifth guard on this team. That is insane. Uh, And if it's not him, it means it's somebody else. It means it's one of Nolan Hickman or Hunter Salas. Like that's crazy that there's that much depth on this roster. So the biggest thing that would need to change is Mark Few would need to be actually willing to tap into that depth, something that we haven't seen him do all of that much. If this team has more depth than previous years, but Mark Few plays eight, seven, eight guys, just like he's done in the past, it kind of makes that depth more irrelevant. So that's a big change that we're hopefully going to see is maybe some more playing time for, for guys eight, nine on the roster, uh, even 10 or 11 on the roster potentially, uh, and kind of keeping guys a little bit fresher as the season goes on. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. And we're going to talk scheduling. We're going to talk Big East. We're going to talk Efton Reed while answering even more listener-submitted questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you are hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still any patents? still locked on Zag, still hammering through Mailbag Monday. Tons of great questions this week as we turn the month to August. This next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, who says, with so much excitement with this team, we know what we would deem a successful season. What would you call an unsuccessful season? Again, this is a bit of a tough question to answer before we really see this team in action. Uh, I do think that a few early season losses isn't necessarily the worst thing. I think that that's a possibility for this team this year. We've certainly been spoiled by the 2020-2021 team that did not lose at all until they played Baylor in the National Championship game. We saw a couple early season losses last year for the Zags. That was something that was pretty tough for a lot of Gonzaga fans to swallow. The loss to to Duke was was a tough one, but at least it was Duke. The loss to North, or excuse me, to Alabama was certainly a challenging one as well Uh, i think a few early season losses again not so bad as long as they gel by the end of the year i think if we're talking ncaa tournament success uh, the biggest thing that i would think would be an unsuccessful season is if the sweet 16 streak died Currently, the Zags have made the Sweet 16 in every tournament that has happened in the last seven years. If that streak were to end, that would be be an unsuccessful season. I think going to the Final Four would be an excellent season. Of course, winning it all is is the goal, the obvious number one goal there. I think anything in between the Final Four and the Sweet 16, so losing... After making the Sweet 16 or losing in the Elite Eight, that would be kind of the the middle ground. Certainly would be disappointing. Uh, every season at this point that doesn't end in a national championship is on some level a disappointment uh, just because the expectations for the Zags are so, so, so high. But I think kind of at least make keeping the Sweet 16 streak alive, it's hard to call it a super unsuccessful season uh, if they are able to at least do that. Next question comes from Edward via Gmail. Edward says, uh, he, he wrote a long email about the Big East and some concerns about how the travel and the, the extra competition might hurt the Zags a little bit. And then he kind of ended it by asking, what would you say to the parents of recruits that are thinking of coming to the Big East Zags? Yeah, I think I don't think recruiting is going to be a challenge for Gonzaga if this, if this move were to happen. Uh, obviously, we're talking about better competition week in and week out uh, in conference play. Uh, being on TV more, that's a really big selling point to student athletes like Gonzaga gets to say, hey, you're going to be on ESPN uh, a lot in November you're going to be on ESPN a couple times between January and early March then you're going to be on ESPN a bunch until the season ends <laughs> right and I think if you're in the Big East it's depending on what the Big East media contract looks like currently the Big East is is with Fox Sports and basically every single one of their games is on Fox Sports Gonzaga would be on TV on national TV every single week two times a week I think that'd be a huge selling point more recognition again better competition uh, and, and for the Zags like their ability to develop talent ha- is unquestioned that that's not going to change in the Big East versus the WCC. They they get high school players and they turn them into the best version of the basketball player that they can be, night in or year in and year out. They're doing it all of the time. Julian Strother was a top sixty prospect in his class. He's potentially going to be a first round or lottery pick. Corey Kispert was the fifteenth overall pick in the draft. He was outside the top one hundred in his recruiting class. So is Demontis Sabonis. Like there are tons of good examples uh, of Gonzaga developing players really well, and I think. High school players aren't going to be concerned as much about how far their flights are to the the schools in the Eastern Conference. They're not going to be as as concerned if Gonzaga is maybe not always ranked number one in the country. Certainly that is a factor. And if Gonzaga going to the Big East does ha- hamper their ability to always be ranked number one, that could be something that rolls in as, as a factor as well. But these kids want to go to schools where they're going to... Get on TV, be recognized, potentially win a championship, and go to the NBA and play successfully there. And Gonzaga, they can offer all of that in the WCC. They can still offer all of that in the Big East. So I don't think it makes a huge difference. Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, The PK-85 seems to be setting up similar to the 2018 Maui Invitational, where Gonzaga started out with wins over Illinois and Arizona, only for the title game to become the top three showdown against Duke, where Gonzaga dominated most of the game, held on through a last-minute comeback, and won in dramatic fashion, making the 2018 Maui invite one of Gonzaga's most memorable early and tournaments. You can say that again. Uh, Jeff goes on, PK85 strikes me as one that could work out the same way. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty specific prediction. Uh, Obviously, Gonzaga uh, very likely going to play two teams and then play Duke. I don't think that that is unreasonable to project. That is how the bracket is going to likely shake out, uh, barring some kind of upset. Maybe Todd Golden and his new, new team with Florida will pull an upset there. Maybe Xavier or Purdue will make some noise somewhere. But I think it's... Pretty reasonable to expect that a Gonzaga Duke showdown is how the PK85 finishes uh, at the end of the week. I have not studied Duke's roster enough to know the strengths, the weaknesses, where Gonzaga fits, where, you know, how that might look. Uh, Duke's roster is also a pretty young roster. They had the, like the lowest percentage of returning minutes of like, of any ACC team. And I think pretty close to any power five team period. Like it's a brand new team, entirely new players, not all freshmen. Obviously they have some transfers in there as well, but it's a, Duke's a pretty hard team to pin down right now. They got a lot of newcomers on the team, uh, but I, I wouldn't be, they're going to be good. <laughs> they're always good. And Gonzaga is going to be very good. So, this being a really, really epic showdown between Gonzaga and Duke to finish out the tournament wouldn't surprise me at all. And in that sense, yeah, it's going to be a little bit like 2018 in Maui. Next question comes from Eric Stoneburner at EA Stone 17 on Twitter, third of the show for Eric. He says, How many blocks does Efton get for the year? Total blocks for Efton Reed. Well, we'll start out by looking at his freshman year at LSU. While he was there, he played uh, thirty all thirty four games. He played about twenty minutes per night as a starter, and he uh, had twenty six blocks. That was about zero point eight per game. I don't think Efton Reed is going to play twenty minutes per night for Gonzaga. I see Drew Timmy as the starting the starting center. I see Julian Strother. As the starting four, and then I see Anton Watson and Efton Reed being the backups, kind of at those two positions. I think they'll do some mix and matching. I think they'll move Julian and have him play some minutes at the three. They got a lot of options for how they want that to shake out, but it's hard for me to imagine Reed playing much more than 15 minutes per night. Certainly, there will be games where he plays more if Timmy's in foul trouble. There might be games where he plays less, Uh, but if he's only playing 15 minutes per night. I kind of have a hard time seeing him topping that number. I think it's possible he could be a more efficient shot blocker on like a rate basis. Like he might block more shots per 40 because I think he's going to be in a slightly different role, which I'll talk about in the next question. But ultimately, I would guess 18 to 20 blocks. If I was giving him a total number of blocks for the season, I would guess it's around 20. Next question, final one of the segment comes from Peter via Gmail. Peter says, Do you think Gonzaga will have enough strength and physicality this season to prevail over the likes of Baylor? I keep hearing that Efton Reed is not a rim protector. Is that because he is not a great leaper and has only average wingspan to go along with his height? I also read that Drew Timmy measured at 6'8 without shoes at the combine. He's never looked 6'10 to me when he's on the court. I am concerned about the team's interior defense. For starters, I would not care too much about wingspan when talking about shot blockers. Brandon Clark is the second greatest shot blocker in Gonzaga history, one of the most efficient shot blockers in the NCAA. Over the last decade, he was 6'8 with a 6'8 wingspan, doesn't always matter. It's just not always a legitimate factor. Clark's a freak athlete and could jump out of a gym. That definitely helps. Uh, But I don't think wingspan is specifically what we need to focus on when talking about players as rim protectors. For Efton Reed specifically, his lack of rim protection at LSU is a lot more to do with LSU than it has to do with Efton Reed. LSU's defense was switchy, switchy, switchy. That meant that he spent most of his time out on the perimeter switching onto guards. The fact that Efton Reed was a capable slash above average defensive player while switching onto guards is excellent. This is a skill set of his. This is something that Gonzaga's bigs don't have. Frankly, this was Drew Timmy's big issue against Baylor in the national championship game, is that he kept getting switched onto guards, and they were exposing that that is not an area of strength in his game. If that were to happen again, the Zags would put Efton Reed in the game, maybe not at the expense of Drew Timmy, maybe they would play them both together. I'm not sure. We'll hopefully find out in early December when these two teams play each other. But Reed not being a rim protector is less about Reed not having the skill, but he did not have the opportunity at LSU. That could be different this season. Having said all of that, the overall question is effectively: Are we concerned about this team's interior defense? Which, yes, that I have maintained that that is probably the the this Zags team's biggest area of concern heading into the season. Again, they're shaped a lot like that 2020-21 team, and that was an area of weakness for that team. Efton Reed. I'm not sure the minutes are going to be there for him to be a hugely impactful player in that area. Drew Timmy is going to be asked to do a lot of it, and it's not a super big strength of his. He has improved in that area, but again, it's not a big strength. They don't have a Chet Holmgren. That's going to be an issue for this team. All right, two segments down. Coming up, we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions to close out the show. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but the MLB, WNBA, and MLS seasons are heating up into the summer months. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the off season you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts Alright segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zags, closing out the show with even more listener submitted questions. This first one comes from Jeff via gmail jeff says what is the legacy of bill russell for the west coast conference athletics in general and the wcc basketball specifically will other conferences adopt the russell rule that the wcc has in place for trying to increase minority representation and coaching ranks wcc teams yeah uh, a tremendous bummer bill russell for those who had not seen this he passed away at the age of 88 on sunday evening or sunday morning excuse me um Bill Russell was an absolute icon, a, a tremendous force, not just for the WCC, not just for uh, West Coast basketball, not just for the University of San Francisco, not just for basketball. I mean, legitimately, he was a a pioneer. He was a, a an icon. He he. I mean, he's not quite Jackie Robinson. It's very difficult to be Jackie Robinson but when you talk about like social justice and you know that kind of movement. He was he was a true icon. He, he's. A, a, trendsetter he was somebody who stood up who was an activist for his entire life uh from you know from the early days when he was started out at USF to when he became a professional athlete to of course when he won 11 championships at the Boston Celtics and throughout his time as a retired player just continuing to be a social rights activist really a, a truly giant of a man uh, as a as a an american as a basketball player as a Just as as a person in general, and he'll be he'll be sorely missed. His his impact on the WCC, I I don't know that uh, we could state it in an entire episode of this podcast. Never mind one question on a mailbag Monday. Uh, Perhaps we will dive into it in a future episode. But uh, I I do think that he helped put USF basketball on the map. He helped put uh, college basketball in a way on the map, and is forever forever indebted. The WCC is forever indebted to him and the impact that he had on the conference. Uh, With. Regards to the, the the Russell rule, and the minority things, I, I hope that we see more conferences willing to to take a good hard look at their hiring practices for coaches, particularly for coaches of sports that have predominantly minority athletes. Like basketball, is, is a very good example of that, and making sure that you are hiring the right people and that you are giving opportunities to people of color is vital. It's extraordinarily important. And I know people have laughed about some of these rules in the professional levels because they're not being taken all that seriously, but it is important. It is very important. And Russell's impact on the WCC is tremendous because of that, if nothing else. And I hope we see other conferences willing to really dig into their hiring practices and make sure that they're, they're doing the right thing, uh, to, to make sure that the, that the, different races are are represented correctly in the coaching ranks. Next up is another question from Jacob Quarter 2. He says, who is your all-time WCC first and second team? Yeah, so I did this. It was kind of a mashup of players who were really good in college and players who were really good in the NBA. Uh, I did a first team and a second team. I also tried to divvy up the teams too much. It's not just 10 zags. Uh, My number one for top team, top five is Steve Nash, John Stockton, Adam Morrison, Hank Gathers, and of course Bill Russell. That would be a remarkably talented lineup right there, especially all in their prime, of course. And then my second team is Doug Christie, Dennis Johnson, Hank, or not, excuse me, not Hank Gathers, Bo Kimball. I forgot to rewrite that, but Bo Kimball, who was Hank Gathers' teammate at LMU. Uh, and then the two bigs for that team would be DeMontis Sabonis and Bill Cartwright very, very excellent players. They're mostly geared towards NBA success in that regard. Uh, but certainly you could make an argument that this, this team would be pretty darn good when just talking about their college accomplishments as well. Next question comes from Mike Parker at Zag Parker on Twitter, who says, which NBA Zag is most likely to have a breakout season this year other than Suggs? Yeah, Jalen Suggs is the obvious choice. He, he did not have a very good rookie season. He had some injuries that kind of kept him down. Uh, didn't shoot the ball particularly well, but did a lot of other things well. I think he's absolutely in line for a an improved sophomore year and potentially a full-on breakout as well. But if we're not counting him, my answer to this question is going to be Zach Collins. I think some people might be surprised by that answer because he has been in the league for a fairly long time, and you usually think of breakout guys as being guys who've only been in the league for one or two years. But it's worth pointing out that Zach Collins played 28 games last year with the San and- Excuse me, the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, He averaged 8 points, 5.5 boards, a career-high 2.2 assists. He shot a career-high 49% from the field. He shot 34% from deep. Uh, Greg Popovich, excellent coach. San Antonio is always a well-run operation. They're very, very efficient. They tend to get the best, the most out of their players. And then the really exciting thing about Zach Collins, he's 24 He's 24 years old. He's so, so young for a guy who's been in the league as long as he has. It's hard to remember that he he came out as a freshman. Like, he he's such a young player. And I think we're talking about a 24-year-old kid if he's healthy, and that is a big if, there's no debate about that, but if he is healthy, has the opportunity to play a full season with San Antonio, he's going to be in line for nice minutes, this is a Spurs team that is very clearly rebuilding, they have traded a lot of their veteran pieces, they are not expected to be a playoff caliber team, they have the ability to give a 24-year-old lottery pick a lot of time, and I think we're going to see him be the best version of Zach Collins that he has ever been, quiet some people who thought that he was a bust, quiet some people who thought that he was not, uh, not going to be a legitimate NBA player just because he had so many injuries. If he Again, health is still a factor here, but if he can stay healthy for a season, uh, I think you're going to see the best version of him at this upcoming year. Final, or sorry, second to last question of the show. This one comes from at Josh Edits on Twitter, who says, Do schools have to share what NIL deals their athletes have? Curious who's sponsoring some of our guys besides Timmy's well-known Quest Casino and Dollar Shave Club deals. Oh, and can schools block a competing sponsor like a Nike school saying no to a player's Adidas deal? Uh, To answer the second question, yes, absolutely. Those... The, the, those things aren't even happening. Like they're, The schools are not having to block that because if you are at a Nike school, competing sports brands are, are not approaching you about NIL deals. It's just kind of like a, I mean, it, maybe it's happening behind the scenes in some capacities, but those are not things that are allowed. Schools can say no to that, and they do. They're absolutely going to say no to those kinds of situations. Uh, with regards to whether the school has to report it, no, the school has no obligation to, to do any of that. They don't have to publicize it. They don't have to do the advertising for the athletes. They don't have to do any of the marketing stuff. Uh, that's why these nil collectives have cropped up in a lot of ways friends of spike i uh, had both of the two people from from that company on the podcast recently it's matt santangelo who of course point guard for the 99 gonzaga team Shanique Nils, who played women's played on the women's basketball team here at gonzaga uh, three or four years ago was when she graduated i believe um, the two of them run this nil collective called friends of spike where they help student athletes find find sponsorship deals, find NIL opportunities, they help promote them as well but the school. The school needs to be notified by every student athlete when they have a, a deal because they need to make sure that it is within the rules of the NCAA. But they don't have any obligation to report that stuff. If you are looking for some of that stuff, follow Friends of Spike. Check out their website. They give you a lot of information on many of the NIL deals that are out there for these student-athletes. Also, following the players on Twitter, they often tweet out that stuff in part because of their obligations uh, for their various deals, but also just because that is what they do. So I know like Julian Strother works with a coffee company in Spokane. I know Dominic Harris has a sandwich named after him, The Dominator. Uh, I'm sure there are many, many other NIL deals out there for these athletes. Uh, some that are being publicized and some that are not. Final question of the show from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, what are Gonzaga women's basketball's biggest non-conference games for the 22-23 season? I don't know is the short answer to that question. The women's basketball program has not released their non-conference schedule up to this point. Uh, Looking back last year, it was released on September 10th. 2021 so it is possible that we will may still be a month away from finding out the games that the women's basketball team is going to be playing outside of conference this year Uh, most years stanford is their biggest game they seem to play stanford pretty regularly every single year Uh, hopefully we will see that matchup again because the cardinal are, are one of the best women's basketball programs not just on the west coast but in all of college basketball and that would be a fun one to see for the ladies ags once again All right, that is going to do it for me today. Remember, we're down to three episodes per week, but there is still going to be two more great shows coming out later this week. we got a guest coming on the show. we got plenty more Gonzaga-related stuff to talk about right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again for those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.